This is episode 67. Hello and welcome to All Hazards. In this episode, we invite the new Cal OES Senior Advisor, Mona Pascal-Rogers, to sit down. Governor Gavin Newsom appointed her in June of this year, and she jumped at the opportunity. The professionalism and how you help people in the worst of times. I just, I really wanted to be a part of how, you know, we can continue to do that great work. She's very new, arriving just after the Ridgecrest earthquake. But she's already getting a taste of what it's like to become part of the Cal OES family. I always knew that this was, you know, not the same model as all the other agencies. Man, when you see the people and you talk to them and they're so committed to their work, they're so committed to the director, I'm in awe. Mona talks about her long career in government and what she's experienced and learned along the way. In fact, one little girl made a big impact on her as a role model. I'll never forget her. She looked big brown eyes at the wood paneled walls and the big wooden desks, and she said to me, um, I didn't know girls could have an office like this. And my heart broke. Children need to see what they can become. Another important lesson she learned came from her first trip on Marine One with President Clinton. The president comes on and Mr. Lindsay says, Mr. President, you remember Mona, she's going to be the political person for the trip. He says, okay, Mona, well, I have, we have time for to have one hand at hearts. Do you want to play? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> you said <laughs> I, no. I don't know why that came out <laughs> quite like that. That and much more right now. So in the uh, recording studio today, here with me, is a uh, familiar name to those of you who really follow politics. I have to admit, uh, I recognize the name, but if you had asked me to put the name to the face, I don't know that I could have done that, but I can now. <laughs> with me here in the studio is Mona Pasquil-Rogers, who is the Senior Advisor here at the Governor's Office of Emergency Services. I don't think we've ever had one before. So you are the first. Really? I, as far I'm as I honored. can remember, you should, you are the first here. So welcome to the All Hazards Podcast, Mona. <laughs> Thank you. Great to have you here. So first, the question I have is, what is a senior advisor and what are the responsibilities? So I basically work for the director. Director Gillarducci um, will assign special projects. I, uh, because of my experience with the previous administration, um, I'm able to to dig down deep into where, you know, there might be a, a challenge here or there or a pause in uh, a project, and I can. I'm one of those people who can kind of get things done. Troubleshoot. Yeah. And, and facilitate. You're Thank a facilitator. You. Okay, well, good. I, I wondered that. When I, I heard you were coming on board, you had been appointed uh, by Governor Newsom. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, senior advisor. Okay, well, I got to find out exactly what a senior advisor does. So that's good to know. Thanks for clarifying all of that. Thank you. It's a little bit of everything, I think. Okay, so tell me, how did you come to become appointed for this position? And why did you say, yes, I got to do that? Well, you know, it's a funny story because I actually was... Uh, I met a, an intern that I had had lunch with, gosh, maybe eight years ago. Hmm. And she, as soon as this went up, she said, do you remember our lunch? And of course, I looked at her and said, no, help me. <laughs> and and she said, my, I, she asked me what my dream job would be. And I told her Cal OES. Really? I had completely forgotten that. <laughs> but I think that 
watching over the years the work and the intense uh, intensity that the team here is constantly um, surrounded by, but the professionalism and how you help people in the worst of times. I just, I really wanted to be a part of how, you know, we can continue to do that great work. Right. I've and always been a fan. Me too. Uh, the, I've said this in podcasts before. I, I feel very lucky to be here at Cal OES. And a lot of folks who end up here have always sort of wanted to come here. Yes. This has always been on their radar, Cal mm -hmm. OES. It's a great agency to work for. And I think that when you work for an agency like this and you work for one that you really want to work for, when you come to work, it doesn't really feel like work. Because you're doing something that is passion. Yes. Right? Eight years ago, you said, maybe even a little bit longer, you said that this was a place that you wanted to work. Mm -hmm. And now that you're here, how long have you been here now? One month. One month. Boy, a that month came and fast. six days. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's I'm just in awe. I've been able to go to San Luis Obispo to see the phenomenal training program that's going on there. Um, and I hope to to continue to do uh, visit more of the offices. I've been to a few preparedness um, meetings, and I uh, I'm even more in awe of the work that this team does. So it's you know when you work to set as I did in appointments, you know help to put teams together. Um, I always knew that this was you know not the same model as all the other agencies, and. Um, Man, when you see the people and you talk to them and they're so committed to their work, they're so committed to the director, it's it's just, I'm in awe. It's refreshing, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. A lot of folks, I think, think of state government as just being one big bureaucratic mess of yeah. red tape, right? But when you come to Cal OES, it doesn't feel that way, does it? Well, with life and death, you can't, the red mm -hmm. tape, you, there's just no way you can you can use the excuse of it's stuck in bureaucracy because people's right. lives um are on the line for and sure. their homes. And for their... sure. So you came in just after Ridgecrest happened, the I earthquake. Did. What did you think? Were you were you uh, uh, tasked with anything related to the Ridgecrest? No, event? I wasn't. I came in after, um, and so everything had pretty. Everyone had been deployed who needed to be deployed. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that from the governor's office, because I was in the governor's office, um, uh, we saw how quickly and how smooth everything worked. People know what to do they they get it done and but it is it's also a reminder and it was one for me too uh, the importance of communicating preparedness to all communities and especially those that maybe not don't have time because they have three jobs to watch the news but how do you get to communities and talk to them about how they can be prepared yeah it really is important so you have a a long history in government um your well, I'm going to let you describe. You started off uh, here in California. Was it with uh, uh, as chief of staff? To, oh, it to... was a million years ago. Yeah, uh, okay. with John Garamendi when he was in the Senate. Okay. And uh, I, I started off as uh, as his receptionist. So oh. I had just graduated English lit. Was looking to go uh, either to grad school or I was thinking of business school. And I used to be a babysitter. For the Garamendi family, <laughs> and he called and he says, "Let me give you an opportunity to learn. Um, I'll, I'll teach you anything you want to know." Mm -hmm. And true to his word, he did. I but he says you have to start at the bottom, 
And I was really humbled by that because I learned everything from that chair, answering the phones, the old school way, Mm -hmm. and um, meeting people and understanding how the building worked. And of course, you know, making a lot of mistakes along the way, but he, but learning. And he, you know, I went from there, I did consultant, I did his scheduling, I did, I worked in the district. It was, it was really a great experience. So from there, working for um, John Garamendi, you went where? To Kathleen Brown, and I was her legislative director. Okay. That's a pretty big step. It was a very big step, and I think that I've been really lucky in my career. I had uh, friends and mentors who would say, listen, there's this great opportunity. We think you can do it. And I, I'll tell you, I didn't really think that I could. I had a lot of doubt. Uh, and in this particular instance, a friend of mine, Dale Shimasaki, called and said, I got you an interview. It's in a couple of days. Um, you're going to be fine. And when I went in there, she was, Kathleen Brown was amazing. And she said, um, she says, well, how do you feel? I said, well, I'm an English lit major who loved Dante and Chaucer and I'm in the treasurer's office. And I would, I said, I'm not going to be afraid to tell you that I'm allergic to numbers. (laughs) And um, she (laughs) laughed and she said, this will be a great experience for you. So that was the first Brown that I worked for. Wow. It sounds like she had made up her mind. Yeah. I was shocked. Wow. Yeah. What do you think got you through that that interview process and solidified your role? Um, great mentors and friends who knew me and knew the work um, that I could do. I, I just, I always believed in working hard, first mm-hmm. in, last out when I don't know anything, which is most of the time. And, um, <laughs> and I think that... that it really helped their belief in me, and I also didn't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I had a great mentor, still do, Maylee Tom, who was the first woman CAO in the assembly. And uh, she she was someone who I would call every day and ask, uh, what do I do about this, this, and that? But the treasurer's office and how Kathleen Brown really arranged it was so that you could really freely talk to the finance people, talk to the bonds people, and and learn. So the environment was a learning environment, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated it. And you were open to that. You yes. wanted to learn, and oh, I think that's important. Absolutely. Yeah, know that you're going in not knowing everything, and you're open to learning. So that was the first Brown, Kathleen Brown. <laughs> the second Brown was? Jerry Brown, Jerry. Governor Jerry Brown. Yeah. So what did you do for him? I was his appointment secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, the team and I worked to to appoint over three thousand people in senior management positions and uh, boards and commissions. And so, he uh, learning under him was a, a a very different experience from his sisters. Right, he was also uh, he had the history of having already been there before. So you would have to dig deep into everything. So if we, for example, were talking about you know, appointments at the Office of Emergency mm-hmm. Services, he would say, well, what happened 30 years ago? Why, why did we do this? What's the budget? How many people, what do people on the outside say? What do people on the inside say? And there were a few times where uh, he, I don't think he, I don't think he was happy with my answer. And he called one of the departments that we were talking about, he called their general number. Really? And that poor gal who picked oh. up the phone uh, she was getting ready to leave, and he said, "Hi, this is Jerry Brown." And, yeah, right. right. Sure, it is. And he asked her a few questions, and he says, "Well, do you have some time to come over here?" 
And they talked about, and he was really interested in, you know, what's working and what's not. Mm. And so he was really a very hands-on Very hands-on. Yeah. And so you had to do a deep dive into every appointment, but really, really understand, is there duplication? How do we get rid of it? How can we be more efficient? What do the people think? What do really? people on the outside think? Yeah. But he, it was really interesting. See, these are the things that people don't know. They don't realize that what goes on. Mm-hmm. They may just see Jerry Brown you know, whatever their nickname is for Mm -hmm. him at the time. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand the level of depth, the level of uh, uh, minutia that goes into the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fascinating. But I want to ask you too about this. You have been uh, appointments, your appointments have have made a lot of firsts. So I'm looking at a list here. It says California's first Asian Lieutenant Governor, it's first Filipino lieutenant governor. It's first female lieutenant governor. First acting lieutenant governor not to succeed the position from the president pro tempore of the California state senate. A lot of firsts that are all kind of wrapped up in one ball. What do you think about all those firsts? We'll continue our talk with Cal OES senior advisor Mona Pasquil Rogers. On the way, Mona talks about her long career in government and what she's learned along the way. In fact, it was one little girl who made a big impact on her. I'll never forget her. She looked big brown eyes at the wood paneled walls and the big wooden desks. And she said to me, "Um, I didn't know girls could have an office like this. And my heart broke. Children need to see what they can become. Now, if you're like me, you may have wondered just what is a senior advisor? A lot of times in, in state government, you know, we're all used to staying in our lanes. And sometimes it takes someone who has been in, in exposed to a lot of different lanes and help make things happen. She has a long to-do list already. She also has a lot of lessons learned, one of which involves her first trip on Marine One with President Clinton. The president comes on and Mr. Lindsay says, Mr. President, you remember Mona, she's going to be the political person for the trip. He says, okay, Mona, well, I have, we have time for her to have one hand at hearts. Do you want to play? And I said, absolutely not. Let's get back to the conversation with Mona Pasquil Rogers. What do you think about all those firsts? Are they important to you? Uh, they really are. I feel um, I feel very honored and, and, and blessed. I think, um, you know, when I was in the Lieutenant Governor's office, I had a few experiences where it it, uh, they were very real moments for me. Mm. So there was uh, a time when I, this woman and her daughter came to the office, and they, they, they just caught my attention. They were talking to the staff. So I went up and I introduced myself. And uh, she was, they have a class project. Well, the, they were new to this country. The mother didn't Brown know the bus driver, the didn't know the chaperones, and, the and didn't want to send her daughter me, um, um, on the bus on the field trip. So she brought like her up. Herself. So, you and know, for one were, moment when you know, you're really the proud to be bringing she, somebody back said, to the well, office, and then she says that, and my heart broke. Because so I realized that, you know, you know people need to see, children need to see what they can become. And so I feel like I've been so lucky and fortunate to have had mentors and people who have helped me along the way. That I feel like it's a, that I need to do that for others because that was really it was a, it's it's just also something I'm writing a book about this little girl and that experience, um, but I think that if I don't take it seriously, then I'm it's a pretty selfish thing. Did you have that same belief when you were a child? 
Yes. Well, I had, I'm the oldest of five, and my father was a social worker, so we mm-hmm. talked a lot. But I remember my first trip to the capital. I was either in fifth or sixth grade. And I came home, and I said to my parents, there isn't that anybody that looks like me, and there are no women in, in the, that, in the that desks. Worldview. And my father said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm going to be one of those women. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the first Filipino to be elected to the legislature. And then as time went by, I realized I didn't want to be the elected person. I really I really liked being in a staff role where you could really work to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And um, and and so I, I, I learned that from my parents mm-hmm. to always kind of help each other, be proud of who you are, but... You know, get out there, and if you don't, if you see something that's wrong, or if you don't see anybody that looks like us, get in the mix, and don't wait for an invitation. Beautiful. I have the same sort of feeling when I was taking a flight on Southwest Airlines several years ago, and my daughter, who is now a sophomore in high school, at the time was maybe nine or ten years old. For so sure. I was on the flight. I was in the front row. And the pilots were still doing the checks to before they departed, right? And I saw that one of the pilots was a female pilot. So I grabbed my phone and I snapped a picture of uh, the profile of this woman who was running through her checklist and sitting in the pilot seat. And I texted my daughter this, this picture and I said, check it out. We got a, a woman in the pilot seat. How cool is that? She's like, dad, that's really cool. So... I appreciate that aspect. I mean, obviously for me, I'm coming from the male perspective, but as someone who has lived that role, uh, very important, isn't it? It really is. And I think that, you know, for all of us who are really lucky to have these positions and opportunities, uh, it's it's really important for us to mm-hmm. remember that, you know, there are people just seconds behind us who are A, watching how we handle ourselves, but B, want that opportunity to so help them, mentor them and, you know, bring Empower them Empower them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Out of all of the former bosses, and I use that term in air quotes here, that you worked for in the past, was there any one that stood out as being uh, hyper aware or maybe more aware than the others of disaster and emergency preparedness on the way? The president comes on and Mr. Lindsay says, Mr. President, you remember Mona, she's going to be the political person for the trip. He says, okay, Mona, well, I have, we have time for her to have one hand at hearts. Do you want to play? And I said, absolutely not. So how did that trip with President Clinton on Marine One go? What did she learn from that interaction? That's coming up. Also, the role of a senior advisor. A lot of times in, in state government, you know, we're all used to staying in our lanes. And sometimes it takes someone who has been in, in exposed to a lot of different lanes and help make things happen. Let's get right back to our chat with Mona. Out of all of the former bosses, and I use that term in air quotes here, that you worked for in the past, was there any one that stood out as being uh, hyper aware or maybe more aware than the others of disaster and emergency preparedness? Well, gosh, you know, during, um, in 1986, there was a big flood down where I lived, down in the Delta and Walnut Grove. And I, uh, then Senator Garamendi 
was there and in the middle of, you know, all of the the craziness that was going on. And, and so I think every boss along the way has, has been in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Governor Brown, you know, obviously I think because of just my recent experience with him, but he had to deal with everything from earthquakes to floods to fires and, and, um, and, and the drought and was very involved. Mm-hmm. So all of them have been involved, but I really saw it firsthand with uh, Garamendi and mm-hmm. Brown. It's kind of hard not to be when you're in the state of California. We have yeah. such a wide variety of natural forces at play. Right. Well, when I worked for the White House and I worked, I was one of the political directors for Bill Clinton, you know, we saw, you know, there were horrible things, wonderful things, but then there were horrible things that had happened. And one was the shooting of the Filipino post worker in Northridge. Mm. And talk about being in the place that you're supposed to be. be. Uh, They were preparing the um, press release because the president and vice president were going to make a, a statement. And they always run everything by all the different teams. And uh, one of my proudest moments was being able to to say I was meeting with uh, Vice President Gore at the time, and we were talking about it. And they kept just referring to him as a Filipino postman, a Filipino postman. And I said, use his name. Mm-hmm. Joseph Ileto. Right. That's the man. And and he, they did. Oh. And so for myself being, you know, Filipino and and the community and, and really everybody recognizing this horrible thing, but say his name. And so I feel like, you know, I was there at that moment and it was it meant a lot to me and I, I know to the family mm-hmm. to to have have them recognize his name. Yes. Gotta hear it. You have to hear it. In your past experiences Maybe that was the one. I don't know. But have you ever lived through a significant disaster that uh, affected you long term in any way, shape, or form, either personally or professionally? Um, I would say the floods of 86, really, because we were – I was home still. And the – when the levees broke – there were at the time still a lot of elderly Filipino men who used to be farm workers that lived in our town. They lived on the other side of the river. And they had nowhere to go. So my parents, my aunt and uncle, who happened to be living with us at the time, you know, went over, gathered everybody up, brought them to our house because we were on high ground. Mm-hmm. And if it was going to flood, it would flood the other side of the island mm-hmm. first. But they brought everybody together. And it was such a stressful time. The The sirens were going off. And and um, one half of the, the uh, neighborhood was helping you know, the neighbors move things out of their businesses from across the river before the waters hit them. And we were we were taking those elderly people. And mm. in my mind, just watching my parents and my aunt and uncle kind of bring everybody together, make sure that everybody was safe, encourage, you know, just because it's when you're 86 and a lot of these guys were in their 80s, you know, they're not going to leave their, their little room. Right, but they did, and and for a few days, my parents, you know, took care of everybody, and the whole community came together to take care of people, uh, and and help them. It was it's something that we w- wouldn't even hesitate again. But it, when you're a, a young person and you see that, um, it really makes an impression. What impression did that make on you, and how did that uh, carry through till now? Always take care of each other. Yeah. You know, and yes, yes, it's about being prepared and getting us out. But then, who? What about the people that don't have the family or mm-hmm. the people who they're alone, who can help them? So I, that's something that you know, always be aware. 
And those folks who maybe can't help themselves yeah. to mm-hmm. the degree that we would hope that they could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have yet to go through any uh, significant disaster so far this summer. Thank goodness. <laughs> Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Let's do it together. Here we go. There we go. Are you prepared mentally for this next one? Whatever that next one may be, are you ready to take this on uh, for the activation and all of the craziness, the controlled chaos that goes along with it? Always ready to help. Mm-hmm. Always ready to help. We have a great team, great leader, um, and um, I'm going through all the trainings to make sure that I don't, <laughs> Good. you know, that yes. I do everything right. But um, I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be here. It's that that willingness and sort of that uh, innate wanting to help. And that's that's a great thing about being at Cal OES. Regardless of what your role is, you are helping people. Mm-hmm. That's and right. It's a good feeling. That's right. I mean, and the support that Governor Newsom and his team and the governor's office have given, it's just, it's it's amazing and, and so appreciated because I think the team here needs, uh, when they know that they've someone's got their back, they can pay attention to having everybody, the California's back. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your goals as the... Uh, as the advisor, the senior advisor? So I think one of the things that I'd like to do is to, is just to first kind of figure out, get everyone's goals and work with the, work with the director to, to help get those things done. Uh, A lot of times in, in state government, you know, we're all sometimes used to staying in our lanes. And sometimes it takes someone who has been exposed to a lot of different lanes to bring everybody, everything, together and help make things happen. So really helping this team with all their priorities and how they get those things done. There are a lot of different projects that are going on infrastructure-wise and thinking um, teams that are thinking about the challenges that are ahead, but how do we help, how can I help make it as smooth as it can be? Is there something right now that you can talk about project-wise that you're excited about? Um, There's a couple, but I don't know I could talk about them. Okay, no problem. (laughs) That sounds good. I like that's a good answer. <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about? Is there anything that you want to say? Um, I I'll tell you that that uh, one of the things that um, I know from working uh, in the governor's office and not only in this department, but in a lot of other departments working to shape teams and, you know, make sure that you've got the right people for the job and um, that you're broadening, you know, you're making opportunities available for everyone. Uh, I, being here, this, this agency is unlike any other agency. And so I, I, I am so grateful for the men and women who make up this team, actually all, you know, the, those that work in the state. But I, I really, I've never seen this 24-7. And um, it's been, it's just, it's, it's exciting, if I can use that word. Of course. Uh, to just to be here and observe. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, as much as I want to learn more, and I'm 57, and I think you should always be learning something new. And this is my learning something new. Good. But it keeps you young. It I keep, hope so. <laughs> it keeps you young. Oh, it does. It does get exhausting, but it does keep you young. It keeps your mind sharp. Yes. And and yes. I think that's important too. Yep. We all need to stay sharp, right? Um. So uh, normally I have a lot of other questions uh, that I would ask you, but um, the next one is one that uh, I ask everybody. With the level of experience that you have. Uh, reached and the mountains you have climbed to get to where you are now. 
we've all made uh, critical decisions. We've all had to make uh, some decisions very quickly. Are there any decisions looking back now um, that have either sort of weighed on you or maybe some things that you wish you could have done differently, mistakes that you've made that you've learned from Mm -hmm. that maybe someone listening to this can say, you know, maybe they can glean a little lesson from you. Um, Anything that you've done that you know you, you wish could have done differently? Well, I'm I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm at this place right now, good and bad, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that as as someone who has always had these intense jobs, uh, it's only now that, and through a few years ago, uh, losing my father, that I have really realized about it's the secret to life is working hard, enjoying it, but also taking the time to step away, to, to do things with your family and friends or do things just for you, but the mo- you know, breathing. Uh, and one of the things that I realized, just as an example, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, was that when I worked in the White House uh, for President Clinton, it was a second term, so it was really, there were a lot of things going on and things were very intense. And I wasn't the person that was ever first to get picked to, to anything. So I, I took that job so darn seriously. I was first in. I left at 10 at night. Sometimes Secret Service would come around and just say, we're just checking on you. And um, I didn't stop to smell the roses that much. And I think that the secret to life is really working intensely with great passion and, and doing a great job. But the best job that I could do for myself and the people that I'm serving is to be able to walk away a bit and enjoy. I had so many great opportunities there, as I have in every job, but I realized that, um, gosh, when I met, you know, so-and-so, I should have, when the Dalai Lama was in the the lobby and I just kind of looked over, but I was running from a meeting and I stopped and looked at him, why didn't I say hi? (laughs) You know, it's little things like that. And so I think that, you know, we have great responsibilities, but I think that we also need to just to, to savor every moment. And, uh, because this, what we've got, we've got today. Right. Yeah. Whether it's the Dalai Lama or just maybe someone that you saw in passing and you could have said hello, Mm -hmm. those are moments that are so fleeting. Mm -hmm. And if you don't stop, you have to force yourself, don't you? Yeah. Force yourself to take those moments. Um, If you're in a hurry going from one meeting to another, even just 60 seconds, 60 seconds isn't going to make all that much difference on one end. Mm -hmm. But on this end, maybe if you had stopped to say hello to the Dalai Lama, that could have had, uh, that could have changed the course of your history. Mm -hmm. You never know. Right. But, and so I think that, um, you know, it's, it's, it was, it's a lesson. So I have a funny story. So I, um, I am not a, I was not a morning person back in those days, and I got a call uh, really early from White House Signal and, you know, on the phone, and I, I said, ma'am, you didn't answer your pager, because of course we had pagers in those days. And I said, well, of course I didn't, because I was sleeping. And he says, well, the president's going to New Mexico. I said, I'm aware. Um, and the one of the people can't make it. They'd like you to go. And I said, I can't. I can't be... I said, I knew what the time, you know, I said, I, I can't even get to Andrews in time. And I'll never forget the operator said, does that mean you're not going to go? He says, this, the, 
the chief of staff's office has asked. I said, I'm not going to be able to make it. So I hung up the phone and I realized, oh my God, did I dream that? Or did that really happen? The phone rang again. I said, I'm on my way. They said, could you meet on the South Lawn? So I'm, I, I had never been on um, Marine One. So I get over to the White House. I'm running. My hair's half wet. I probably only have half of my makeup on. And um, I get I get to uh, the gate and I tell uh, the Secret Service and the Marines, I said, I, I got a call. I'm supposed to be on Marine One. And they don't say anything other than, yes, ma'am. So I walk across and it's empty except for the, the pilot. And I said, I'm, I think I'm supposed to be here. They said, oh, good morning, ma'am. So I no one's inside. Like, That's weird. So I sit in the way back, <laughs> and uh, pretty soon the the valet comes in and he's good morning, Mona. I said, good morning. He says, excuse me, but you're sitting in my seat. And I thought, well, there's no names on any of the seats, so I move over. Somebody else comes in. The doctor, Connie Mariano, comes in. Hey, good morning, Mona, but you're sitting in my seat. So <laughs> I was like, well, where am I supposed to sit? So opposite of there was a someone from the chief of staff's office, and then <laughs> me, and the president and uh, Bruce Lindsay. We're going to sit opposite. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not prepared for this. Oh. I'm just not prepared for this. And I realized, um, Mona, this is your moment. Just breathe. The president comes on and Mr. Lindsay says, Mr. President, you remember Mona. She's going to be the political person for the trip. He says, okay, Mona, well, I have, we have time for to, to uh, have one hand at hearts. Do you want to play? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't know why that came out quite like that, because it was in the morning. And I said, uh, because you count cards and I can't. And he kind of laughed and looked at me, and I thought, did I say that out loud or did I think it? I think I said it out loud. And everybody kind of, <laughs> yeah. they played and we went, and I thought, Ooh. what a fool. Wow. I can't believe. But he did. He he knew. I mean, he watched everybody's cards. He knew what they had. He was had. a card counter? He, and I, <laughs> yeah. And I, well, at least in my opinion, yeah, I saw right, it. Right. I was like, and I, um, I blew it. I should have played cards. Oh. See what I mean about enjoying the yes. moment? I was, I took it so seriously. Wow. What a dork. So... <laughs> How did the how did the rest of the trip go? Very well. Yeah, it was successful. It was. It was a political trip for one of the electeds, and and it it went fine. And it wasn't a dream. It wasn't a dream, <laughs> but I tell you what, I guess that goes to the always be ready and flexible. Oh wow, wow, wow! I'm trying to envision that conversation in in President Clinton's voice. How funny would that be? Oh my gosh, it was. Yeah. Morning, Mona. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That is good. That is good. I have a uh, playing card story that I'll have to tell you after. Okay. It has nothing to do with this, but uh, it was fun nevertheless. Um, so, but these are good lessons to learn. These are things that I think a lot of uh, people who are motivated and aspirational, they are so focused on the next plan and maybe the 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 overall um, strategy of getting to the next level that they forget to take in those moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, you take in moments now? All the time. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, just starting from a grateful mm-hmm. place is, 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 is good. Mm-hmm. But sure. I think that, you know, I've, um, I've learned a lot, you know, and, and um, I hope to pass it on. People don't always want to hear it, but, you know, if, I, if they want to, I'll share it. <laughs> there you go. 
I feel like there's a lot more I could be talking to you about, but we don't have five hours to sit and talk. We are both really busy people. So, uh, but I do want to know this. Yes. Okay. And I ask this because it's it's particularly close to to my heart, and that is music. Um, what do you have on your your phone? What do you listen to? Um, I listen to Pandora. I always listen to Brothers Casimiro. The oh. last song that I heard this morning was Kamanu, so it's yeah. the birds. Oh. Very relaxing. Good. So you, you listen to music to relax, or mm-hmm. do you listen to it for different reasons, or is that pretty much what you do? Um, it helps me to relax, mm-hmm. but I love listening to Frank Sinatra oh. and uh, on the way home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Get you home, huh? <laughs> all right. And sometimes I'm guilty. I sing in the car. Oh, well, that's all right. I ran into a lobbyist who told me, I, did you see me the other day? And I said, no, why? He says, well, I was on I-5 driving next to you, kind of pacing you, trying to get your attention, but you were too busy You were too busy singing. singing. You know, there are two places you're allowed to sing, regardless <laughs> of how well. The car and the bathroom. Thank you. you know, the shower. And you- I was... I was singing. I didn't think anybody, well, I knew they couldn't hear me, but to see me, I was a little bit embarrassed. Well, that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's all right. Is there anything else you'd like to to chat about? Is there anything um, anything that you want to say before we wrap this up? I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful to the governor and to Mark for letting me come on board and uh, and just be in a supportive role. Well, we're very happy to have you here. And uh, from the moment that I uh, met you and uh, took your portraits to the moment now, uh, I, I, I'm so glad to have had the chance to actually sit and talk with you. Oh, This is thank great. You. Thank you for being here. And thanks for, uh, for everything that you're going to do between now and whenever it is you decide to move on from Cal OES. Hopefully it won't be too soon. <laughs> We'd love to have you here for a while. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, I hope you enjoyed listening to Mona as much as I did talking with her. She's one of these people that I think we would all just enjoy to sit down, have a beer, and just talk. She has, I bet, a ton of really good stories to tell. She's just a delight. And thanks again to Mona for taking the time to chat with me. And thanks to you, of course, for subscribing. And thanks to you for listening. Now, if you haven't subscribed yet... You can, and we'd love you to. Just go to your favorite podcast platform, find All Hazards, and hit the subscribe button. Now, if you have any questions or concerns or ideas, I'd love to hear them. Send them to me in an email, questions at caloes.ca.gov. That is questions at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here in the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.